0: Jesus we thank you today that as we've sung we are surrounded by your love nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus we thank you that we are immersed in your love we thank you that our lives and everything about them are tenderly taken up in your loving hands. Thank you that your thoughts towards us are full of love and tenderness and graciousness. Thank you for your care and your closeness And the intimacy that we have as we walk through this life, we want to thank you, Jesus, that we are inseparably connected to you. And it's love. It's love. It's new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness to us. We want to thank you for that. This day. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I really do believe, you know, that the Holy Spirit has given me a word to share with you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to generate an expectation in your heart of faith to believe. And I'm going to speak to you this morning about hope for the hopeless. Hope for the hopeless. Sometimes we can look at areas of our lives and deem them as hopeless. There may be strong areas of our lives, but sometimes there are hidden areas of our lives that we would rather not speak about, rather not remember hidden away in the recesses of our heart, hidden away in the recesses of our mind that we've relegated to that place of hopelessness. And Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit wants to draw attention to those areas because his eyes are on them. Not to bring shame, not to bring pain, but to bring life. Those areas of our lives that seem out of sync, dysfunctional, unfruitful, unproductive, no longer flourishing in the way that they once did, it's those areas that the Holy Spirit wants to bring attention on not to embarrass us, although we may be embarrassed about them. The Holy Spirit wants to bring attention on them. The eyes of Jesus are on those very areas. That's what he's going to be going after in this season of your life. Because those very unfruitful areas that seem to have no life in them are going to flourish. Are going to have his life Of blessing flow through them again so that they're going to become full of motion, full of fruit, full, teeming with overflow abundance. Life in all of its fullness. Those very areas that may be hidden away under shame, those very areas that may be concealed And closed down and abandoned by you. He's going after. And He's gonna revive them and restore them and make them whole. It's the love of God that actuates the power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God for you, the love of God for every area of your life is gonna actuate the power of God into those very areas that may not be operating at the moment, that may be under the shadows of the past. The love of God, the love of God is going to bring them up into full use again. That very area that may have caused pain, that very area that may be under the shadow of shame, that very area that you'd rather not talk about, that you'd rather leave buried and dead in the ground, is again going to thrive, thrive in the presence of God through his power actuated by his love. You see, every single area of our lives as we move on this journey with Jesus, ultimately we'll reflect his glory, ultimately we'll have his touch on it, ultimately we'll resemble exactly the full splendor, the full character, the full glory of Christ in his fullness. Every single area we're assured of this. From the words of St. Paul, he said this, that we are being conformed to the very image of Christ. The very character of Christ will be our character. We're not there yet, but we're we're on our way. And he who has begun a good work in us will perform it until the very day that he appears. And when he appears, we will be like him. And we've all got areas that we've given up on. We've all got areas that we've ban- abandoned. We've all got areas of our lives because of our weak state that we would relegate under that term hopeless. But the God of all hope is going after those areas. The God of all hope is going to breathe life into them. The very power of the Holy Spirit that brooded over that chaotic mass at the beginning moments of creation and incubated it and waited upon it until the Word of God spoke it all into being is the very same power of God that's going to reside and, and brood over those unproductive, lifeless areas of all of our lives and they are going to reflect His glory and His splendor. Oh, he's good. He gave me this word. He gave me this word for you because he loves you so much. He is so passionate about every single area of our lives. Hallelujah. He really is. And it doesn't matter what people have said about these particular areas of your life how they've criticized you and how you felt condemned and how you felt judged he doesn't look with eyes of judgment his word to you is not a word of condemnation his word to you is a word of life a word of healing word of restoration word of wholeness he's very different to anybody you'll ever meet This Jesus, hallelujah, he's very different. His voice is very different in all of its tones. It sounds so different to all of the other voices that we hear countless times throughout life. He's coming. And it may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be in a year's time. I can't tell you the day that he's going to come. And make this area whole. But it's my job this morning to tell you he's got his eye on it. He's viewed it up. With a smile on his face. He sees it. And he's put a date. And a time upon that moment when he's going to bring wholeness and healing and restoration. To that area of your life. Now other areas are strong. Other areas are thriving. They're all changed and transformed and moving ahead well but there's certain areas in all of our lives that we could look at Hang our head down oh but our Jesus the one that has spoken over our lives the one that has said he is the author and the finisher of our faith the one that has told us to keep our minds and our eyes fixed on him who is the finisher of our faith he's the one He's the one that's going to do it. He really is. These old areas are going to live again, become brand new under his touch, under the transformational power of the Holy Ghost. It's what he does. And all we have to do is simply acknowledge, and many of us have already done this, acknowledge that we are completely powerless to do anything we can do to change these given areas in our lives. We're powerless. Oh, he loves. He loves to see that resignation of our strength in these particular areas. He loves to see that abandonment, that giving up on Our pursuit to bring change in our own lives. That's the moment he comes. It's the moment he comes with his power. And we'll see this this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6 in a moment. And we're going to use that as a backdrop to see. When you resign your power, you resign control. You resign and acknowledge your ability to Be able to do anything in your own power to transform areas of your life. That's when Jesus ministers. That's when Jesus makes whole that which is withered. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 6. Verse 6 to verse 11. Jesus is in a synagogue. And there's a man there with a withered hand. And this man needs to be reached. This man needs to be healed. This man has a plight in his life that he has no control over. He can't bring change. Hopeless in every sense. Jesus is on a mission. He's come for this man. He's come to meet him. He's come to heal him, restore him, make him whole. Let's read it. Luke chapter 6, verse 6 to verse 11. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely where he would whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he, Jesus, knew their thoughts and said to the man, uh, uh, but he, Jesus, knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise, stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful? On the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to destroy it. And when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another how they might do or what they might do To Jesus. This is an incredible moment in a synagogue. Jesus had been teaching. And everything was so sterile in the atmosphere. Religious men looking at Jesus, criticizing him, seeing how they could trap him. Why? Because they hated how he was liberating people. They hated how he was speaking. They hated how he was bringing closure to the promises of God. And they were actually becoming a reality in people's lives. They hated the joy. They hated the life. They hated the power, resident power of the Holy Spirit that was assisting Jesus to minister the kingdom of God in the midst of a world that was broken and chaotic and hopeless. And they're watching him to see if he would go against their system, go against their rules and their tight regime. Now it's important for us to understand as we look at this miracle. In fact, if you look at any miracle that Jesus did in the Bible, you will see and discover that there is a message in the miracles. There's a message in every miracle that Jesus performed that lives on far beyond the moment of when the miracle was performed. So there's a message here in this miracle this morning for us as God's people. There's a message here in this miracle that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, wants us to hear and understand Jesus heals this man in this withered state. You would have thought that the the crowd in the synagogue would have erupted in joy. You would have thought that everybody would have been ecstatic over the healing of this man's hand. What was withered suddenly became whole. You would think that the whole place would erupt, the whole place would rejoice, but there was none of that. Instead of rejoicing, they were enraged by the dramatic power of God in the area of this man's life that was withered. They were enraged that Jesus had delivered this man and made him whole enraged by it now this man as he came into that synagogue this day on that day had nothing to distinguish him he had no no trait within himself that would set him apart in that crowd no personal strength that would have Caused him to stand out. No important relative to give him prominence or a front seat. He was just a nameless man. A face in the crowd. Unnoticed, unimportant. A man that nobody was paying attention to. But Jesus right there at this given moment focuses On this man that everybody had ignored. Nobody had noticed. Nobody even knew his name. The only name by which he went was the man with the withered hand. Imagine having that label over your life. Not called by name. Even the, the, the writers of the gospel don't know his name. Luke just calls him the man with the withered hand. Matthew also identifies him as such, a man with a withered hand. There's no name behind this man. But it's incredible the detail that the writers give us as they look into the situation that this man was in. Firstly, Luke was a physician. Who wrote the words that we have read. And he picked up on the point that it was the man's right hand that was deformed and withered. Matthew doesn't pick up on that detail. Luke is very exact as a physician. And he points out that it's the right hand. The man's right hand that was withered on that day. Now that point this morning may seem unimportant to us. We may not understand the significance of the fact that his right hand was withered. His right hand was useless. His right hand was shriveled, had no life in it. But to Luke and to everybody there that day, they knew that as a result of that man's right hand being withered, a shameful message was being sent out from his life. Because the right hand was seen as the hand of power and strength. The right hand was always the hand that you would extend to greet others. With the right hand, you would bestow a blessing. With the right hand, you would feed yourself, never with the left hand. The right hand, and many Middle Eastern cultures today placed the same importance on the right hand as back then in that day. And this man's right hand, Luke tells us, his best hand was withered, useless, lifeless, and possibly hidden away through embarrassment and shame. The left hand was the unclean hand. The left hand could never be extended in that culture to greet others. In fact, if you extended your left hand to greet others in that culture, it would be seen as a terrible offense. And an insult to extend your left hand. Therefore, this man was Excluded and isolated on many social fronts. His power and his confidence had gone because his right hand had lost its ability to function. He lived on the fringe, hiding away and possibly highly embarrassed at what had taken hold of his hand. He had no power to change it. He had no ability to reverse what was happening and what had happened. That was his plight and that was the condition that he had to live with until, until Jesus turned up. Because this man had no function or use in his right hand. His personal power for cleanness and wholeness, this was the message coming off of of his life, had withered away. And all he could extend in life was that which was unclean and worthless. But Jesus... Jesus reaches out to this man. Luke tells us it was his right hand that was withered. Matthew tells us that it was his hand that was withered. He doesn't tell us that it was the right hand, but Matthew tells us something in his account of this event that Luke doesn't tell us about he turns around and says, behold, the man with the withered hand. He uses this word, behold. And Matthew picks up and understands that there was a moment in that meeting, a moment in that synagogue, when there was an abrupt change of direction. When suddenly, Everything was focused on this man that everybody had forgotten. Everything was zoned in and focused on this man that had no name. Matthew, understanding the change, understanding that something had radically shifted in that meeting, said, behold, the man with the withered hand, he uses that word carefully and selectively because that is such a powerful Bible word. It means consider, understand, realize the importance of this moment. Realize and understand that everything is focusing on this individual. Matthew sees that, understands that. And he says, behold, the man with the withered hand, Jesus looks at him. Jesus focuses on him because he's about to... Go after an area in this man's life, his hand that was withered, that had hung hopelessly by his side, and he's going to heal it. And Luke, uh, Matthew, sorry, Matthew picks up on that and he senses it. No longer now is this man just a faceless person in the crowd. The king of the universe is before him. The king of the universe is calling him forward. The king, the creator, the everlasting one is about to do something in his life that no other could do. And he's called forward. Now, when something's deformed in your life, like it was in this man's life, especially in the culture in which he lived it would have been easy to isolate yourself many times in certainly in biblical times when people were sick when people had a disease when people had a dysfunction in their bodies they would often isolate themselves and hide away because the laws and the regimes and the rules were so strict And written against them. Everything was stacked against them. So they would hide away. They would isolate themselves. They would remove themselves from public view. And yet, the wonderful thing is, is this. This man was in the temple on this very day. The Sabbath day of all days. There he is, sat in the temple very weak very insecure very possibly unstable in his emotions feeling a bit suspicious and overwhelmed by all of the environment around him because he's in the presence of people who are very strong very prominent got everything together on the outside but he's hiding unconscious of his weakness And the withering state of his hand that's perished and shriveled. But he's there. He's there. That's important. That's so important. Don't miss that. Understand it. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Listening to Jesus teach. Making it a priority to be there. Faithfully there. He's not allowing the external conditions of his life to govern or close down his faithful commitment to God and his house. That's a message for you and I. How many years have you come here with withered areas? I know I must have been coming here with withered areas in my life for well over 20. But praise God, I've come here. And you too. You too. You see, withered areas sometimes we have to patiently carry into the presence of God. Withered areas of our lives that we're embarrassed about. Withered areas of our life just like this man that we would rather hide away from. But we've come with those withered areas. Could be a relationship that's withered. Once it thrived with life and love, And new affection, now it's just going through the motions and it's mechanical. It's withered, but you're in the house of God. Sat listening to Jesus speak to you through a donkey. Eeyore. (laughs) Listening to, 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 to him speak to you. Through a foolish thing like this. Encouraging you. Withered, yes. But in The house of God waiting for him to call, and he will call, waiting for him to call your name. Stand up, stretch it forth, be made whole. I tell you, it could be a gift that you've laid in the dust because of failure. It could be your physical body that you're struggling in strength your health is degenerate de- degenerating, and you're worried, but in this withered condition, you faithfully come, you don't allow life's condition to determine your faithfulness to the house of God. you don't allow life's conditions even though they counteract what you believe, you don't allow them to stop your attendance. To the house of God, to coming to the body of Christ. You're here now. I know there's people listening online this morning, and they can't be here because they're self-isolating. I'm. You understand the point I'm making. I'm not telling those to come out of isolation into the house of God. We're in a season that's soon going to end. Many have had to isolate. We all have had to take time where we've isolated. But generally, we are here, faithfully, watching online, here in person, with our withered lives. Areas that are strong, but certain areas that are withered. But Jesus, Jesus has got his eye on it. He's got his eye on it not to embarrass you not to shame you but to make it new again to make it strong again to cause life and fruitfulness this man was in the house of god committed he didn't know what was coming his way he didn't know that by the end of his by the end of that service by the end of that day what was withered would become whole. Listen, God's marked out that area of your life. Marked it out. There's a date on it. It's countdown time. Countdown time. And all you're doing now is being patient, being faithful. The Bible tells us it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. There are areas of all of our lives that we want the touch of God on. Be patient. Be patient. I've got to tell myself it. There's a countdown on it. And you, you'll be amazed at when God touches it, when God changes it, when he brings life on it, great fruitfulness will come as a result of his touch in your life so this man was faithful in attending the house of God listening to Jesus teach he was there and because of that because of that even though the house was filled with nasty angry religious rule makers Jesus in the face of all that went against the minor- uh, the majority chose the majority uh, the minority and reached out to him, and suddenly things started to happen, to the point that Luke said, behold, 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 it's all about him that nobody's noticed. This is who he's going after. This is what he's got his eyes on. Behold, it's about the one with the withered hand, not about all of the externals, and all of the paraphernalia, and all of the dressing up of religion it's about him that's why he's come here for the unimportant one the overlooked one the one that nobody's noticing that is who he's going after his love actuates his power and oh, what love does now he'd been faithful Jesus tells him to stand up what is he doing well He's requiring the man to assume responsibility in his own recovery and restoration. The man had to make a choice of faith. The man had to obey the word of instruction that he was listening to. Jesus was singling him out. Jesus was telling him to stand. And now he had to... Assume responsibility in his own restoration and recovery. He couldn't make his hand work, but what he could do is stand up. What he could do was stretch it out when Jesus told him to stretch it out. And that's what God does with all of us. He knows that there are areas in our lives that we have relegated to that place of hopelessness. He knows that there are areas that have hidden away and we don't want anything to do with them anymore. But when he tells you and he calls you forward and he tells you to stand up in that area, stand up, stretch, stretch it out. Assume responsibility in your own recovery and in that own and in that process of restoration and you shall be made whole that man didn't angrily object what are you making a point about me in this service for why are you bringing the attention on me no he just quietly quietly doesn't say anything just quietly stands up jesus said Maybe it was hidden away. He said, no. Show them all. Let's go public with this. It's a Sabbath. When you're not supposed to do anything. Let's show them what the kingdom of God is about. Let's let's let them understand that I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm not bound or restricted by your rules and your traditions. Stretch that thing out. And he stretches his hand, and Luke and Matthew just simply concur, it's as whole as the other. It's as whole as the left one. Now he's got a new right hand that's not withered, but is made whole. Do you know my imagination goes, I can imagine the guy getting up the next morning, walking down the street, You know, and before he would just, you know, maybe held his hand behind him because it's a shameful thing. No power. It's fruitless, not flourishing, embarrassing area of his life. But now the glory of God and the life of the power of the Spirit has gone through it. It's been made whole. And I can imagine the next morning, 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 hallelujah. What a wonderful day it is. Not just one hand, you know. shakes that right hand in the air morning and you can see the onlookers can't you is that his right hand that's the man with the well we can't say the withered hand now can we he's he's waving it or he's you know i said in the in the the last service maybe you know he's just sat down in one of those middle eastern cafes and he orders a cappuccino or a an espresso Like you do. And he puts out his right hand and he picks it up. And he just, you know, waves it in the air a little bit. Takes a sip from his cup. And then, is that his hand? Is that the hand? The withered hand? That's not the man with the withered hand anymore. No. It's the man whose hand has been made whole. What's the message? What's the picture pointing to in relation to our lives? Well, those withered areas of your life that people have spoken bad about, criticized, judged, made you feel ashamed. Those very areas, you're going to stretch out, stretch forth, and you're just going to be like that man, and it's going to be so fruitful and so vibrant, and it's going to flourish, and you're just going to wave it out there in public, in the air. It's not going to be concealed back in the cellar anymore, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to live again. It's going to thrive again. It's going to be everything that God has created it to be. Areas of your mind, areas of your attitude, er- areas of your heart that have been unguarded. And the traffic of life has ravaged and gone through those very areas that the enemy has damaged. God is going to restore. God is going to repair. God is going to make fruitful again. And they're going to move. And they're going to become flexible. And they're not going to hang under the shadow of shame. No, they're going to be expressive. And not only are they going to bless you, but they're going to bless everybody else. Areas that once lost their sensitivity again are going to have their sensitive touch and your life is going to be an extension of His glory in that very area. You see, God gets no glory from our lives being withered. He looks over withered areas of my life and your your life, and with tears of love in His eyes, He said, "One day, one day, there's going to be a moment of faith. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to call Him to come forward, and that area is going to have my life. It's going to be incubated with the." same power of the Holy Spirit that brooded over creation and brought forth teeming abundance. That same power of his hand is going to be on every area of our lives and we are going to resemble him in all of his fullness because John the Apostle said this, he didn't say that, as he is. As he is, so are we in this world. That's not a withered life, is it? That's a full life. That's an abundant life. That's a life that's teeming with God's glory and God's handiwork. As he is, not as he he was, no, as he is, as Christ is. In heaven, so are we in this world. We don't have a withered Christ. We have a triumphant Christ. We have a glorious Christ. We have a strong Christ that's been given the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's not a withering Christ. That's a triumphant, glorious Christ that has been exalted to the highest place. And John said, as he is, so are we in this world. You just wait and see. You're in a season, moving in a season where the withered areas of your life are suddenly going to receive great fruitfulness, great harvest, great abundance, and his strength and power is going to flow. And you're going to give glory to God. You're going to give glory to God, finally today there was a man in the old testament that didn't have a withered hand he had a withered life his name was jacob jacob and we're going to bring this service right now to a close let me just talk a little moment about jacob before we pray jacob a withered life the moment he was born he came out of his mother's womb rebecca trying to grasp at the heel of esau his brother isaac and rebecca saw this nature within baby within the baby and they labeled him jacob this is jacob this is Jacob. Do you know what the word Jacob means? It means deceiver, thief, crook. One that usurps. One that always has an ulterior motive in mind within any given situation. Deceiver, supplanter, thief. And he lived with that n- label. Whenever, whenever anybody called the name Jacob, his mum and dad, his brothers, friends about when they said Jacob what they were reminding him of was a nature that he could not control or overcome he was overcome by it when he heard his name called Jacob he heard thief deceiver supplanter one that lives with an ulterior motive to get his own way and to bring about a bad end he's a deceiver That's what he heard when he heard his name called. And everything about life and the situations around him seemed to entrench that nature, that very nature within him until one day, one day, an opportunity came for this nature, this power within him that he could not control to take vent. Esau, his brother, was hungry and Jacob was a good cook and Esau wanted some, some stew and Jacob saw his opportunity, said, listen, I'll give you some stew. I'll cook for you. You give me your birthright. It's a fair trade. Esau foolishly was deceived by this supplanter, foolishly deceived by this manipulator that had ulterior motives in the meeting. In the moment, he gave over the birthright and suddenly his deceit even ventured to go and deceive his father and his father lay a blessing on his head. He deceived Isaac and he couldn't escape his deceitful nature. He deceived his father Isaac. He deceived his brother Esau, there was chaos in the family. And he has to leave. He knew that Esau was after vengeance. And the potential was he was going to murder him because of what he'd done. So grievous was the sin. So grievous was this act of deceit that Jacob had committed. So he goes from that house to his Uncle Laban's, hoping one day to return home. That day never came. He would never go back to see Isaac and Rebecca. He goes to Uncle Laban's house, and maybe he thought, you know, like we do, right? We all do it. I've done it. Maybe he thought, do you know what? This time I'm going to turn over a new leaf, man. I'm I'm, I'm done with this deceit. It's got me in too much trouble. I am not going to deceive anybody anymore. I promise. Ever done that? (laughs) No, God's not interested in those empty promises of mine or yours. He wants us to acknowledge that we're completely powerless to control the nature that tries to rise up within us and take control of our lives. It's called the flesh. But he goes, good intentions in his heart. I'm going to Uncle Laban's house. I'm going to put things good. I'm going to prove that I am not Jacob. I'm going to prove that I've got a new nature, that I can do things well. Well, he went to Laban's house and everything was brilliant to start off with. Fantastic. And suddenly, he falls in love with Rachel, Laban's daughter. And he wants to marry her. He tells Laban, listen, please, I want to marry your daughter, I think she's beautiful, fantastic. But what Jacob doesn't realize is Laban is an even bigger rip-off merchant than he is. And he's going through the knocks and the challenges of life. And God allows him now to go into a situation where he's going to get knocked off and ripped off by good old Uncle Laban. So Laban says, listen, work for my daughter for seven years, you can have her. Jacob works hard for Laban, faithfully works hard, seven years. The day comes, time's up. Can I have my bride? Of course you can. The night comes where they're going to consummate the marriage. He goes into his tent, it's pitch black. He consummates his marriage. He wakes up in the morning. Who's next to him? Leah. Leah. I tell you what, I I said this earlier. Whenever I read that, it always gets a chuckle out of me. My God, Leah, what? He was like, I mean, he did not, let's put it politely, he did not want Leah. He was not attracted in any way to Leah. He wanted Rachel. Laban said, oh, look, you're married now. And Laban, naughty little Laban, knew what he was doing in deceiving Jacob. Jacob said, look, I'm still, in my, I'm still in love with Rachel. What can I do? Well, work for me for another another seven years. You talk about deceit. You talk about scheme. You talk about ulterior motive working under the table against a person. Laban is, you know, really skilled in the art of it. He works another seven years. It seems but a day, the Bible says, because he was so in love with Rachel. Finally, he gets to marry Rachel. Rachel and then he works on for another six years so in total Jacob is in Laban's house for 20 whole years in that time in that time Jacob at the end of it all says he looks back and he says my God I've been ripped off with my wives and not only that your dad has changed my pay 10 times he's ripping me off big time But Jacob being the schemer that he was, Jacob being the underhanded dealer in life, actually, when the time came, left with far more from Laban's house than he came in with. He came in with nothing, but by the end of it, he left virtually with everything. Why? Because he got one better up on Laban. He just ripped him off. But was he content? No, he was withered, even though he'd amassed much materially. But the Bible says, it says something beautiful. It says something incredible that I love. It says that he's the God of Abraham. That's the man of faith. He's the God of Isaac, that's the man of laughter and surrender, but he's also the God of Jacob. The rip-off merchant that can't control his nature, that has an underhanded motive in every relationship. He is the God of Jacob and you can read in Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob is alone. He's left Laban's house now and he is alone. He separated himself from all of his material goods. And one night, that night, when he's alone, he meets God and wrestles with God as a withered man. As a withered man with a withered life. And God says this to bring about a response in Jacob Let me go. God knew what he was doing. Let me go, Jacob. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. He wasn't asking for material goods. He was asking for transformation. He wasn't asking for assets and riches. He was asking for his withered state, his withered life to be made whole. That's what he was asking for. God turns around and asks Jacob ask Jacob a very simple question that the answer would determine whether God was going to transform and change him or not. This was the question. Genesis 32, you can read it. What is your name? Now, that's not hard, is it? But for some people, it really is. This is a moment, a crisis moment in Jacob's life where he's got to get honest with God. Where he's got a he's being confronted, he's being held to account by God. What is your name? And do you know what he says? He says, Jacob, deceiver, cheat, one who has an ulterior motive in every relationship. That's me. Do you know how God responds? Your name shall not be called Jacob any more. You shall be called Israel. Do you know what that means? Prince with God. Strong one. Powerful one with God. And he named that place. I believe it's Peniel. One who has seen God and has been preserved or made whole. It's amazing what God can do. What hope can do in the most hopeless moments of life. He had a heart confession, a moment that God had set up. And now he was walking forward into his future, a brand new man, whole in those areas of his life that had brought so much embarrassment, so much pain, so much so much conflict and chaos. Now he was a whole man, a complete man in the eyes of God and in the eyes of himself. No longer Jacob, prince with God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, as I have spoken your word out to your people this morning, Lord, I thank you for some of us today We're going to assume responsibility in those very areas of life that have become damaged and withered and deformed. You're calling us to stand. You're calling us to stretch that very area out. Others have condemned us. Others have spoken out about these areas of our lives. And it's caused us pain and hurt, disappointment whereby we felt guilty and whereby we felt low, whereby we have felt on the fringe of things and out of sync with you, Lord, your eyes are on those very areas. And for for some of us this morning, you're saying, now, come on. Stretch it out, stretch it out. You've got to realize my powers on this area now. You've been made whole, whole, whole. Not withered, not withered in that area, whole. Come on, stretch it out. Lord, I pray for us this morning. Others, we will go from this place in the wholeness and the newness of knowing that those very withered areas in our lives have been made whole. Whole. Lord, for others of us, we've patiently come to this place with those withered areas. We can see it in our lives, carrying them into your presence, sitting patiently among the people of God, in the house of God. I thank you for others of us who have patiently waited. We're on countdown. We're on countdown with you. And this patience moves us towards the moment where we will be inheritors of the very promises of God in those given areas that have been hidden away. And Lord, for others of us, Lord, oh, we thank you that you're the God of Jacob You're the God of Jacob. You're not just the God of Abraham, the man of faith. You're not just the God of Isaac, the man of joy and surrender and sacrifice. You're the God of Jacob. You invite us as Jacob into your presence. And when we acknowledge that we can do nothing about our condition and our nature, that is when you come with that brand new name, We are those who are the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your transforming power in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. We're going to stand in a moment to sing. Noel's going to come and continue. We're going to worship just remember this morning, just remember, listen, it's his love, listen, it's his love that actuates his power. It's his love that lovingly looks on areas in my life and says, I can see you're struggling Dave in that area. I can see Dave, you're weak. I can see Dave, that you fall down continually in that area. You try to give me promises. You try to sustain your own strength. I can see Dave. And he lovingly looks. And he says, Dave, stretch. Stretch. Come on. Stretch your whole in him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing just before we go. God bless you.